the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. See, when self-love is the highest motivator in my life next to the love of God, then I only have to love you if I like myself. But if I get up on the wrong side of the bed, I get to hate your guts. You see how that works? If self-love is the highest form of love, we're in trouble. So Jesus says, no, no, no. By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. How should we love one another? As Christ has loved us. As Christ has loved us. That elevates it a whole lot higher. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. As broken people in a broken world, love is sometimes messy and difficult. Today, Pastor Gary explains that you can love others with the highest form of love, agape love, only if you have a relationship with the Lord. He equips you to love as He does. God provides a perfect example of how to love in the person of Jesus. He loves you sacrificially and unconditionally. Christ is tender, truthful, and sometimes tough in the way he loves. It's important to examine yourself to see if you are loving others in these same ways. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. You read the story of Corrie Ten Boom and her family who hid Jewish people from the Nazis during the time of World War II, you know, they're practicing civil disobedience. They're hiding Jews, but they're doing what is right to preserve life, although it will, in the end, cost Corrie ten Boom's family their lives, and she'll be the sole survivor to come out of the Nazi concentration camps where they were all taken once they had been discovered hiding the Jews. So there are a lot of things that can be done because you want to honor God, even though it might be in conflict with government. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about this in Daniel chapter 3. They refused to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. We will not bow down and worship any idol. We only worship the Lord. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Of course, God preserved them and protected them through it. Daniel chapter 6 also. Daniel himself is an example. He's thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because he refused to obey the order to only pray to the king instead of praying to God. And so Daniel refused the edict and he prayed to God anyway. Got him thrown into a lion's den. Okay, again, there's consequences, but you got to do what is right. And, and when government is in conflict with 
with what you know is a direct contradiction with the word of God, then you got to do what God says. And so Daniel wanted to honor God. He got thrown into a lion's den. God saved him through it. But nevertheless, he had to go through that. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, a fifth and final example for us, where they were told, do not preach about the resurrection of Christ in the public square. That's when Peter spoke up in Acts 5, 29. He said, we must obey God rather than men. And they went back out and preached the gospel. Now again, it will cost them. They'll get thrown in jail. They're going to get beaten. They're going to experience all kinds of trials and difficulties. But they realized we got to obey God rather than men. It might cost us something. You start doing this, it might cost you something. You might lose your job over it. God forbid we might get to the place where at some point in the freedoms we enjoy presently in our country, we might end up being imprisoned for certain stuff. There are fines that people are paying in our country today because they refuse to do certain things the government is asking them to do. So there's going to be certain costs, certain consequences, but there's an exception to this whole idea about submitting to government. We cannot submit to any authority where it is a direct contradiction, a clear contradiction of God and his word. So this whole section here about government, we have to be careful that we as Christians are also the best citizens and do all we can. But then there are times where there are some objectionable things and we have to stand for Christ in those times of conflict and contradiction. So an important section on government, respect government leaders. The next section he gets into here is on the subject of love. And he says in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. By the way, uh, we talked about before that there are different words in the Greek for love. This is the highest and most supreme word in the original Greek language. It is agape. The agape love, which is the most supreme love that only comes because of our relationship with Christ. Remember, the Greeks had a few different words for love. In English, we're very limited. We have one word for love. So we say we love Fridays. We say we love ice cream. We say we love our kids. But I hope you love your kids more than you love ice cream, right? But it's because we have one word that we can't distinguish between different kinds of love. The Greeks had a few different words. They had eros, which is where we get the word erotic. Then they have the word phileo, which is brotherly love. And the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, phileo, Adelphia, okay? And then they have the word storge, which means family love. And then they have agape, which is the highest and most supreme love. That's the word that is used here in this passage, agape love. And obviously it's directed to Christians because only Christians can exercise the highest and most supreme kind of love because of the relationship that you have with the Lord. So he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. He says there in verse 9, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires 
of the sinful nature. All right, so let's start here with this whole subject of love. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. By the way, some people read this verse and think that Paul is saying you should not have any debt at all. In other words, you should never borrow anything because the only debt you should have is the debt of love. And that is not true because even Jesus said, Matthew 5, 42, give to one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So God's not opposed to borrowing. It just needs to be done in the right way, the proper way. This is not a statement here against debt of any kind. This is a statement about the best and only kind of genuine debt we should have is the debt of love. Okay? There's a way you can budget your money and live effectively as long as debt doesn't get the better of you. You can leverage uh, and borrow in order to pay certain things and get ahead. But you have to be good stewards of the money that God has given you, be able to pay off your debts in a timely and an accurate manner. But this is not a prohibition against borrowing money. But it is elevating the whole idea of love. Now, it's interesting here because he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, and he goes through a list of a few of the commandments here. Do not commit adultery, he says. That's commandment number seven. Do not murder. That's commandment number six. Do not steal, that's commandment number 8, and do not covet is commandment number 10. And the reason that he puts those commandments in the section here about loving your neighbor is because if you really loved other people, you wouldn't break these commandments. I mean, think about it. You won't commit adultery if you really love your spouse. You won't fool around. And you won't dishonor the person that you're sleeping with. Because that is a form of dishonoring them. When you're just cheating on somebody to be with them. It's the same concept. Do not murder. You won't kill someone if you love them. You might be angry, but you shouldn't take it to the place of murdering them. Because you should love everybody. You won't steal from somebody if you love them because you won't want to defraud them. You won't covet what somebody has because you will want to celebrate them and what they have instead of coveting them and coveting what they have. So these are all examples. You know, he's listing some of the Ten Commandments here because if you really love one another, you won't be breaking some of these commandments because the heart of these commandments is loving one another. Now, let's understand a few things about love. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Just go backwards in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. I want you to see a conversation that Jesus has with a lawyer an expert in the law on the subject of love. Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 34. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, a lawyer, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Okay, now he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. So he gets asked this question, what is, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. These are both laws in the Old Testament. That's Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus adds, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He says, if you love God and love others, that's a fulfillment of the law. 
All right, and in some respects, that's what Paul is just basically summarizing here back in chapter 13. He's like, you know, you got to love one another. And he's summarizing basically what Jesus says here in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus elevates this. And we need to read Matthew 22 in context with John chapter 13. So now go to John chapter 13, a couple of books over from Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to John chapter 13. I want you to see another important definition for love here is in John chapter 13. And the scene here is the Last Supper when Jesus is meeting with his disciples for that last Passover meal that he shares just before he is crucified. In chapter 13 of John is the story when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You remember this? And right after Jesus predicts the betrayal of of Judas... Then Judas leaves the room. And then here further down in John 13, verse 34, notice Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, why is this a new command? Because in the Bible, they, they were told, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6.5. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Leviticus 19.18. Why is this a new command? It's a new command because of the motivation for your love. You see, under the old covenant, there was the love of God, and the next to that was the love of self. That's the second highest form of love next to the love of God. If you want to know how to love somebody, you love them like you love yourself. Jesus comes along here in John 13. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to elevate this to a different standard. It's no longer you loving your neighbor just as you love yourself. It is a new commandment in this sense. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. See, when self-love is the highest motivator in my life next to the love of God then I only have to love you if I like myself. But if I get up on the wrong side of the bed, I get to hate your guts. You see how that works? If self-love is the highest form of love, we're in trouble. So Jesus says, no, no, no. By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. How should we love one another? As Christ has loved us. As Christ has loved us. That elevates it a whole lot higher. Now that means, okay, how how has Christ loved me? Very sacrificially. So my love needs to be sacrificial. How has Christ loved me? Very unconditionally. Okay, I don't have to do anything to earn his love or to deserve his love. He loves me. He's never loved my sin, but he loves me. Do I have that same kind of unconditional love towards others? How is my love reflective of the love of Christ in my own life? How have I received love compared to how I display love? It's very challenging for us. Now, three important things about love. I just want to run through real quickly in the like three minutes we have left. First of all, love is sometimes tender. Love is sometimes tender. When you look in the Bible at the different ways that God displayed his love, you see different examples. One is a very tender way that he displayed his love. Uh, One of the examples that comes to my mind is, is the interaction that Jesus has with the woman at the well. All right, she had been married five times. She was living with a guy. This was her sixth relationship. She's, she's shacking up with this guy. And, and Jesus has this very tender conversation with her that brings her to the place of surrender. He didn't scold her, but he was truthful to her. 
Another example is when the woman was caught in adultery. And everybody wanted to stone this woman to death. And, he, and that's when Jesus says, with great wisdom from above, you who are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Everybody walked away and dropped their stones because they realized that they were sinners too. And then Jesus turned to this woman and said, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. And he says, go and sin no more. So he addressed the sin, but he was very loving and tender. So there are times that God's love is very tender. And we see tender expressions of love and obviously there are definite times that we need to be tender in the expression of our love but we also see in the bible that love is sometimes tough love is sometimes tough i think about the time that jonah rebelled against the lord all right god demonstrated some tough love with jonah you know jonah disobeyed god didn't want to go preach to the ninevites because he didn't like the ninevites and so jonah gets on this boat to go in the opposite direction of the mediterranean sea And God does this marvelous thing in the middle of the Mediterranean where it causes the storm to come about. And the sailors at first try to row back to shore to rescue Jonah. Because Jonah stands up and goes, the reason the storm is here is because it's me. You probably ought to throw me overboard and go better for you. And all the sailors are like, no, that's okay, Jonah. We'll row back to shore. And the Bible says the storm got worse. You know the problem a lot of us have is that we love people incorrectly and we try to rescue them. And we try to row back to shore. That's not what Jonah needed. And the storm got worse. And sometimes we think it's not a very loving thing if we're tough with people. Yes, sometimes it is. You better know when it's right to be tender and when it's right to be tough. And that can sometimes be challenging. But tough love is not inconsistent with the word of God. The best thing for Jonah was to throw him overboard. And the storm stopped for everybody else trying to row. And when God got a hold of Jonah's heart in the belly of the fish, that's when... Jonah's life turned, and then he walked in obedience. But he had to go through some tough stuff to get to that place. I see Matthew 23 as tough love. When Jesus rebukes all the religious leaders, calls them hypocrites, snakes, and whitewashed tombs. Doesn't sound very tender. It's not. It's tough. But it was that kind of tough love that they needed to hear. I think of the way that God dealt with Israel on different occasions. Do you know, when Israel was in its greatest period of rebellion against God, and God then brought Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, to besiege Jerusalem. The prophet at the time was Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31.3, Jeremiah said, speaking for the voice of the Lord, he said, I have loved you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have led you with cords of kindness. Now, how is it a great display of everlasting love when God allows Nebuchadnezzar to come and besiege his own people and take him off, haul him off to Babylon for 70 years. Because sometimes love is tough. Sometimes love is tough. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, God disciplines those he loves. Sometimes we get a confused view of God. I get some emails from time to time, and I got one this past weekend because someone was a first-time visitor here and wrote to me and felt like that, Some of the things I said was not very loving and that our church was not a loving church. And in her email, she specifically said, because I made reference to how one of the signs of the times of the return of Christ is going to be like in the days of Lot. That's what Jesus said. And it will be a period of cultural moral decay. And I just spoke pretty honestly about what the condition of Lot's culture was at the time. And we get confused sometimes because we know what the Bible says. God is love, and he is. A lot of people go around quoting it. They don't know where it is in the Bible, though. It's in 1 John, by the way. That God is love, and he is. But we have this messed up view of love where we sometimes think that love, true love, true godly love, and true Christian love means that anything and everything goes. 
And you don't need to be confronted about anything somehow. And, and somehow there's a skewed view of love that it's supposed to be this syrupy, sweet, chocolatey liquid. I mean, wouldn't that be great? But it's not always like that. Sometimes the love of God is expressed in tough ways. I love the tender love of God. I don't always love his tough love, but I know his love is nevertheless genuine even when he disciplines me. Sometimes it is tender. Sometimes it is tough. But number three, it is always truthful. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You know, if you were to be diagnosed with a serious illness and your doctor had to have that difficult conversation with you, but at the same time your doctor said, now if you follow this protocol, you're going to be okay. Hearing the news might be hard for us to hear, but the truth of it could very well save our lives. And sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. In fact, the Bible says that as we get closer to the return of Christ, people will gather around them a great number of people to tell them what their itching ears want to hear because they don't want to necessarily hear the truth. We are living in a day where there is an absence of truth. There's an absence of truth in some of our pulpits. There's an absence of truth in our culture. It's becoming a place where people just want to believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. And then when you stand up even as nicely and tenderly as you can and say, well, here's what God says and here's the truth, then it confronts your life and then people can get offended by that. I guarantee you, however, that just as the doctor sometimes needs to tell you the truth because it just might save your life, that's the fact about God and his word. We need to hear the truth because it just might save our lives. I was dying of a terminal illness. It was called sin. Till God brought somebody in my life to share the truth and let me understand that in my sinful condition, there's a remedy, and it's called the cross. And God loved me so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for me. I was offended at first when somebody told me that, but it saved my life because somebody was truthful enough to give me the right diagnosis and to expose the wickedness of my own heart and to help me to understand that God has paid the price and the remedy is through Jesus Christ our Lord that we might be saved and go to spend eternity with Him when we die. So the truth hurts sometimes. It's not always easy to hear, but it just might save your life. Love is about the truth. If you want to do a great exercise, I'll close with this. If you want to know how well you're doing or not in the area of love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'll close with this. This is a great exercise. If you want to know how well you're doing, there's a section in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is also known as the love chapter, but there's this part between verses 4 through 7 that defines what love is. And if you want to know how you're doing, insert your name where the word love is. All right, so here's how it reads. I'm not saying this is true about me, but I'm just going to read the verses and then, you know, you, you let it. Con don't judge me. You let it judge yourself. All right. I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not proud. I am not rude. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Every place I had the pronoun I was where the Bible says that's what love is. Because love is patient and love is kind 
You read the list. You go home. This is your homework tonight. First Corinthians 13. You insert your name in there and you ask the Lord. You'll feel the conviction. I mean, just the first one. I am patient. I get frustrated at the drive-through. You know what I'm saying to you? It's not fast enough. So you insert your name in there and you see how you're doing. You let the Lord just kind of tenderly challenge you about how to be someone who really demonstrates love when you fit the description from 1 Corinthians 13. As you've been learning from this study in Romans, every person on earth has sinned and deserves the punishment of eternity separated from God. Jesus changed all of that, though. He came to die in your place, to give you grace, and to offer you the gift of life with Him in heaven forever. Are you ready to accept this gift? We'd love to talk with you more about it, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. We'd like to also direct you to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Grow tab, click on How to Get to Heaven to hear from Pastor Gary about this important decision. We're so excited for you. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Cornerstone Connection, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc as well, or download our mobile app to take them with you wherever you go. We'd love to meet you too, so if you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, come visit us at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible, and we're excited to have you join us. You'll find directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.